turn to Mark chapter number 3. Mark chapter number 3. It has been a great day thus far in God's house. Mark chapter number 3 is where we're going to be this morning. And uh, appreciate if you're here for the very first time, welcome to Crossroads Baptist Church. Uh, we're delighted that you are here and hope that you will receive a blessing uh, for being a part of the service today. As we continue our narrative into chapter number 3 of the book of Mark, uh, it seems that this kind of flows directly from verse 28 of chapter 2 uh, right into verse number 1. And it's still the Sabbath. Jesus has just uh, talked to these people, these uh, religious leaders, some followers, about the fact that the Sabbath was made for man, not the other way around. They weren't to be bound by uh, the rules of the Sabbath of the law, but rather to rest in the Sabbath as an example. Remember, God rested on the seventh day in uh, the book of Genesis, not because he was tired, but rather to give us an example that our bodies need rest. How many of you are uh, prone to take that wonderful thing called a Sunday afternoon nap? How many of you know, know what I'm talking about? Can I get a witness? Amen. And uh, those are my people out there. But uh, serving the Lord is wonderful, and, but it can be exhausting. It can be tiring. And when we talk about uh, service and we talk about our next steps and what is your next step, the purpose of uh, the card that you receive today is not so that you would add one more thing already to your laundry list of these are my service opportunities. Uh, the purpose is to say, am I serving well? Am I being an effective servant in the area where I'm serving? Am I serving at all? Uh, not to add more, but to say, uh, can someone lighten the load in an area of ministry uh, where you're doing something for him? Uh, D.L. Moody said this, give me a man who says this one thing I do and not those 50 things I dabble in. Uh, give me this one thing I do uh, not those 50 things that I dabble in. And our purpose and goal uh, for a service card like the one that you received this morning is not so that you would dabble in 50 areas, but that you would know what your spiritual gift is and serve out of that spiritual gift, uh, which is a perfect segue into our growth group tonight uh, where we're talking about spiritual gifts but, uh, at 6 o'clock. But uh, what are you doing for him? So that's what kind of the theme is uh, this morning. As we get to Mark chapter number 3, uh, let's read just a couple verses for context and then we'll dive right in uh, today. Verse number one, Mark three says, and he entered again into the synagogue and there was a man there which had a withered hand and they watched him whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, stand forth. And he saith unto him, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked on them, round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored, whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. How they might destroy him. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down number one, the critics. The critics. 
Imagine this conversation with the religious leaders in chapter 2 where they were focused on what he was doing on a particular day of the week and how now it trickles into chapter 3 and those same people are in the church house now. Uh, That conversation that began outside in the fields in chapter 2 is now bled into the church. And What's amazing to me is that the two people groups we're going to see here mentioned are found in every church even today. Even in this church, uh, there are people and say, well, pastor, why are you singling us out? Every church has these two people groups that we see on record here in Mark chapter number 3. We see number one, the needy, the needy. I won't ask you to raise your hand, Uh, but the needy, the needy. Remember, Jesus has a special place in his heart for those who are hurting. When someone had a handicap before our modern medical advances, they had to rely on the goodness of others, the kindness of other people to support them. And where does this man go to get help? In verse number one, it says, he entered again into the synagogue. That is their church. This man, ironic enough, needed help. And where does he go? He goes to church. Uh, Remember Acts chapter number 4 and verse 32 through 35. It says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Now think about this. These people are receiving Christ and they're uh, becoming believers and they're getting baptized and they're being added to the church. Think about their culture, not ours. For you to receive Christ and take that first step uh, as a believer in salvation costs you nothing today. It's a personal decision that costs you relatively nothing to receive Christ as your personal Savior. Yet so few people accept Him as their personal Savior. So it costs us nothing, but in this time period when this was written in Acts chapter 4, it cost them everything, everything. Uh, The decision to follow Christ was life-changing, earth-shattering. Everything would be different from the moment someone said that they were going to follow Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And I want to illustrate that this morning uh, with these suitcases that I have over here. And I'll get some guys to come up and help me. And uh, let me get uh, six people, uh, six people to come up and help me real quick. Just anybody, six people. And uh, I'll get six people. Six people. I'll keep asking until I get six people. Uh, But six people. All right. One, two, three, four, five, six. Good. We got it. All right. So let me illustrate that this morning. And uh, each one of you guys is going to carry a suitcase. Okay. So two of you guys. uh, There you go. That green one. All right. There you go, Zach. And uh, Bill, I'll let you guys come over here. Uh, What we'll do is we'll get all these guys to come over this way. And uh, we'll illustrate this this way. Okay, and I'm going to have you guys, uh, if you have a suitcase that has money on the outside, Bill, you go over there. Perfect, perfect. All right, there you go. And uh, if you guys have money on your suitcase, you'll go over there. That would be great. Okay, Josiah, there you go. Perfect. Oh, man, this is a great illustration. Okay, all right. So, all right, now here's the illustration. Here's what we have. You have a group of people who hear the gospel, hear that Jesus lived a perfect life, he died on the cross, he uh, did all of these miracles, he was who he said he was, and they come and say, man, we want what Jesus offers. We want salvation. We want to become followers of Jesus. But here's the thing. They all come with different things. They've got jobs. They've got families. They've got future. They've got all of these different things that they're coming to Jesus. But when they did... What happened was when they took Jesus 
they lost their jobs. It wasn't popular to follow Jesus. So you've got now a guy who says, hey, I've got a family and I've got mouths to feed, and now he doesn't have a job. His uh, boss says, hey, that that Jesus stuff is not for me. I'm not going to let you follow Jesus and work here. That could hurt my business, so he loses his job. You've got this guy who now says, uh, hey, I'm following Jesus Christ. And his wife and kids say, hey, that, that's radical for us. His parents say, no, no, no that's, not, that's not us. To, to go against the established church, Judaism in that day was a death sentence. And they would have a literal burial without a body for that person. He's disowned. He's no longer a part of our family. We don't associate with him anymore. He was dead to them now. Remember the prodigal son? When he came back and he said, this my son was dead and is alive again. It was a death sentence to follow Jesus. So he loses his family. All of a sudden you've got these people who had jobs and they had family. They had a future plan. And they say, we're willing to give all of it up just to follow Jesus Christ. And can I say that's exactly what Jesus meant when he said, who's going to come after me and doesn't count the cost. Count the cost. Are you willing to walk away from your job, walk away from your family, walk away from your future, all for the purpose of following someone better, someone greater? And can I just say that this is what New Testament Christianity looked like? They were willing to count the cost. What am I going to lose? But he is greater. He is greater. For what I'm losing, I'm still willing to follow Jesus. Now you've got these people over here who love the Lord, and God has blessed them. And what would happen is these people would come to the church with needs saying, hey, I don't have a job anymore, and I don't have a family anymore, and I don't have a future anymore, but I still have to pay the mortgage. I still have to feed my family. And what would happen is this group of people would say, hey, we see that you have a need. And Josiah, uh, you see that you have a need. And so I want to help meet that need. So now I'm going to give that to him. So go that way. You're done. All right. Thank you. All right. All right. Come on. And uh, Doug, there you go. Hey, I have a need. So now he's done. Now let me stop right here. The sizes are different. The needs will always be different. All right. Somebody had a need where they said, I don't need much, I just need a little. Some people said, hey, I need a lot because I have a, lot, a large family and large home and a large property. And Xavier is going to come over here and he's got a big need, man. He's got Legos to buy, uh, all of these different things. Uh, he's got all of these different things that he's got to have. So he would come to church to get his need met. And he would take his necessary needs would be met and he would leave. Now here's the cool thing. Thank you, Brother Bill. All right, now here's the cool thing. You don't have to leave with the need, all right? Thank you. Here's the cool thing. Some people's needs would be great, but God would provide. Some people's needs would be small, yet God would provide. Where would they find those needs? They would get those needs met at the church. This was modern-day welfare. This is the welfare of the New Testament. They would come to the church because they had made a conscious decision that I'm going to walk away from everything. I'm going to turn my back on my job and I'm going to turn my back and I'm following Jesus. No matter what happens at work, no matter what happens at home, no matter what happens to my future and my inheritance and everything in the future, I'm following Christ and when that happened, they would lose. But here's the cool thing. Those people who lost their jobs would inevitably be commissioned 
to be servants of the king. Now, follow me here. Those people might not have a full-time church gig, but those people now had new responsibilities that they didn't have before. They had a new job. So even though they lost their job, they gained a job. And their needs were still met. And that person that said, man, I'm turning my back and uh, my family is going to disown me. Now they had a new family. They had a new family of believers who loved them and said, hey, we identify because we walked away too. and uh, People disowned us as well. They got what they lost. Are you following me this morning? Uh, They might have lost, but they gained as well. You've got people who said, man, I I don't have a future anymore. I don't have anything to live for. And all of a sudden, they had him and they had Jesus. And now they've got a new future and a new path and new direction for life. And so they might have lost. And in the moment, we might look and say, man, I don't want to lose all of this stuff. And I can't give this up to follow Jesus. It's just too much. I don't want to lose it. And Jesus is saying, but I'm going to replace it but I'm going to replace it. This is a picture of the 2023 church. We're trying to hold on to all this. And and Jesus, I'll I'll come and follow you. If you'll let me me get all my stuff and and I'll come and follow you, Jesus. Just give me just a minute. I'll come. No, no. It doesn't work that way. New Testament Christianity is being willing to lay it down. You know, Jesus, I don't know what the future holds. I don't have to know what tomorrow holds as long as I know the one who holds tomorrow. And I, I don't know what's going to happen at my job when I go in and I tell my coworkers that, that I'm now following Jesus Christ. And they might laugh at me and they, God forbid, I might lose my job. But at the end of the day, following Jesus is worth it. And you know what? My family might not like the decision that I'm making now to follow Christ, but Following Jesus is worth it. And I might not have the same future and uh, my dreams and my desires and my goals might change dramatically. But following Jesus is worth it. And at the end of the day, we're going to stand before Jesus and give an account. And are we going to stand before him and try and explain why we tried to hold on to all this stuff? When he said, I just want you to follow me. I just want you to follow me. I just want you to serve me. Just walk with me. You remember Jesus told the disciples, hey, and you know the analogy. If a man doesn't hate his father and mother, sister and brother, all that he has, he can't be my disciple. Jesus isn't saying you got to hate it. He's saying you got to love me more. you got to love me so much more than everything else if you're going to follow me. This man comes to the church for help, for assistance, And Jesus prepared. And remember, not all of our needs are financial, by the way. The man who shows up here in chapter 3, verse 1, he had a physical need. He had a physical need. You know, some, just a note of caution as we go to the next point. The danger is that while some people will come to church to get their needs met, some people will take advantage of that as well. Some people will say, you know what, I already have all this stuff, and I have, uh, you know, I have cable, and I have internet, and I have, uh, I've been to Starbucks four times this week, and uh, not, not really, but that would be nice, uh, but uh, I, I have all this stuff, yet, you know, my credit card bill needs to be paid, so I'm just going to go to the church, and I'm going to ask them uh, to pay for, my, no, 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 remember, this is about need, not greed, 
Need, not greed. And everybody has needs. Yes? We all have needs. But let's just say, be honest, we all have greeds too. Man, I would love to have that nicest, newest fill in the blank. We all have greeds. But here's the thing. If God knows you need it, you'll get it. You hear that? If God knows you need it, you'll get it. And if you don't have it, here's the flip side. God must not think you need it. Because he is obligated to meet our needs. As his children, he is obligated. God is on the hook to meet our needs as his children. So if we don't have it, God must not believe that you really need it. Oh, pastor, but i got to have it. Do you? Or do you just really want it? And God doesn't see that you need it. You know, when you have a need, this man didn't worry about the other people who were in the room. He didn't care about uh, what the other people said. He just knew that he had a need. And when you have a need, don't worry about the other people in the room. Don't worry about the temperature, the spiritual temperature of those who are in the room. Don't worry about what they're thinking. Be focused on the fact that the one who can meet your need is in the room. Be focused on the fact that the one who can meet your need, financial, spiritual, physical, marital, emotional, whatever your need is, he's the answer. You think about we need the church. And you say, well, pastor, my life is great. Everything is going good in my life. Remember, you might not have a need right now, but you might three months from now. And we need the church to be the church. And if you know a brother or sister in Christ is struggling, what does it hurt for you to walk over and say, Hey, bro, sis, I'm praying for you. I just want to encourage you. Let you know that you're not alone, that you can still go on. We see the needy, but number two, we see some who bring the negativity. The negativity. And here we go in verse number four. Just because this man had a need didn't change the fact that there were some who didn't want Jesus to heal him. Not today, Jesus. God doesn't heal today. God doesn't work today. He is not allowed. And this man had a need, was in the right place, around the right people. But some people did not want him to get the help he needed. Why was Jesus so upset in verse number five? It says, when he looked round about on them with anger, being grieved For the hardness of their hearts. See, they were mad that Jesus was even considering doing this on the Sabbath day. And Jesus was upset that they didn't have faith and that they were so hard-hearted they couldn't see this man in his need. They could not see that this need overwhelmed the day of the week. Romans chapter 14 verse 23, Paul said, For whatsoever is not of faith is of sin. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please him. Jesus asked them if it's legally correct to do right or wrong on the Sabbath. To save a life or take one, in which they couldn't answer. It was silence of rejection and unbelief. Nobody had sympathy for this man who was in need. Nobody was willing to do anything on this day to change what the need was. And there will always be, always be negative people within the church. Always be. Shouldn't be that way. But there will always be negative people in the church. But that does not have to be you. That does not have to be you. Well, pastor said there are always going to be negative people, so I might as well be the one. It's not an excuse. John Maxwell said, Good attitudes among players do not guarantee a team's success, 
but bad attitudes guarantee its failure. Good attitudes don't guarantee a team's success, but bad attitudes guarantee its failure. What's your attitude like today? What is your personal attitude? Are you filled with the joy of the Lord? Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is your strength in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. Jesus asked this man to stretch out his hand, which was a test of faith. This man's hand was withered, could not move it. It was handicapped. And Jesus asked him to exercise his faith. He heals the man. says, stand up, stretch out your hand. And he does it and is immediately, gloriously healed. And instead of rejoicing with this man, wow, did you see what that guy just did? They were furious with Jesus. Instead of rejoicing, they wanted to kill Jesus. Verse number 6 said they took counsel with Herodians against him how they might destroy him. How are we going to kill this guy for doing good? We're going to eliminate his life. But I wonder how many times God does something for those around us that's miraculous. And we are so steeped in our pride that we can't bring ourselves to rejoice. Well, God never did that for me. You know, if God did that for me, I'd rejoice too. But since he hasn't, I'm not going to. Why can't we rejoice? Remember, a mark of spiritual maturity is found in Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Hey, when somebody pulls into church with a new car, what do you think? That must be nice. I bet they're not, bet they're not tithing. <laughs> bet they don't give what I give. I bet they're working every other week. I bet they don't spend time with their family. I bet they don't. Why can't you just be happy that God blessed somebody else with a vehicle? Uh, why can't you be happy that someone else got that promotion? Why can't you be happy that somebody else got a new house? Why can't you be happy that somebody else got married? Why can't you be happy that somebody else got kids? And Why can't you be happy that fill in the blank? Hey, why can't we rejoice with them that rejoice? They come in on cloud nine and your, your job in the moment is to say, man, I'm going to dial you down and teach you some humility. Hey, rejoice with them that rejoice. The critics. But number two, we see the charge. Always be critics. Just because Jesus healed this man didn't mean that his work was complete, but it was done right here in the moment. We see that he departed. What does he do? If anything, the pressure was going to be even more intense. Jesus' public ministry is starting to take form, and he's doing more healings, and he's preaching, and greater ministry is developing. And it says, he withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him. He leaves the area with the intention of getting on a boat, we see in the next few verses, getting in a boat with the disciples. He is getting away to do something that we all need, and it's called rest. Uh, You know, we all need that. He told the disciples in Mark 6.31, after they came back from ministry, said, He told them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. Sometimes we all need to do just that. We need to get away and rest a while. Uh, Can I just practically encourage you to take every vacation day that your employer will give you? I'm dead serious. Take every vacation day that your employer will give you. Well, pastor, you know, I, I I need to show that I'm committed. They will know that you're committed to your family, to your health. You can knock it out of the park. 
every other week that you don't have vacation. But your body, your family, your health needs rest. You need it. I need it. Matthew 14, 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. When do you take your time to rest? Oh, pastor, I'll rest when I'm dead. And you're going to die early. It's going to happen. Because you and I both need rest. Uh, Husband, your wife needs a rested husband. Uh, wife, uh, wife, your husband needs a rested wife. I, I'm burning the candle at both ends, Pastor. I'm trying to do all this stuff. you got to find that balance where you can rest. Rest. Remember Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 9 through 11. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that entereth into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. We got to work so that we can rest. We got to work at finding time to rest. We're trying to find that balance. How do you get the rest that you need? What does that look like for you? He departed. Number two, he directed. In verse 7 through 10, it tells us about where these people were come from, coming from. Uh, this place from Jerusalem, verse 8, from Idumea and from beyond Jordan. Idumea was over 100 miles away. These people are coming to see Jesus over 100 miles away. Some commentators believe that there are 10,000 people following Jesus right here in this moment, in this passage of Scripture. That is a large group of people. What happens? Verse number 9, he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. This is literally saying, go sit in the car, crank the car. This is like your Sunday morning husband picture right here. I'm going to be in the car. I'm going to have the car running. I'm going to be sitting there waiting. It's already going to be in drive. The car's door is going to be unlocked. So as soon as your door latches, on the way to church. Don't poke your husband right now. Did you tell him what happened? Yeah. He directed. But what does he do? He provides direction. Why does he have to do that? Verse 10. For he had healed many. I wonder if there's somebody here in the room today you could testify that he's done a work in your heart and life. He's done something for you. Remember Jesus asked the man at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5 verse 6. He said, Wilt thou be made whole. Do you want to be healed? He asked this man, do you want a healing? Do you want to be healed? Because at the end of the day, God is not going to twist your arm and make you do something. But if you want healing, he provides healing. Maybe you have a need for a relationship to be healed. Maybe it's a marriage that's broken. Maybe it's a physical need, a spiritual need. Do you want to be healed? Of course, pastor, I, I want to be healed. Well, what are you doing to see it take place? Oh, Pastor, you know, I got this relationship that's just kind of out of bounds. And Are you doing anything to restore it? Are you making phone calls and then texts? Are you trying to restore these things? Uh, by the way, let me just say publicly and, and just in my own personal experience, never, ever, ever do conflict resolution via text. Never, ever, ever. It won't work. I'm sorry that you got mad at me. No, no, hey, 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 in person. Matt, remember, we did this illustration last Sunday, Matthew 18. 
Gabe is no longer a jerk, okay? So uh, think about, remember, if you, you have no idea what I'm talking about, watch the message, okay? And uh, Gabe is still in discipleship, praise the Lord. <laughs> uh, but maybe it's spiritual. Are you addressing it? Have you talked to the Lord about it? See, sometimes we assume that because God knows everything, that he'll automatically meet our needs and we won't have to ask for it. Wrong. Then why does God tell us to ask? John chapter 5, verse 14, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. Why do you want to be healed? Why? Remember James chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it on your lust. Why do you want what you're asking for? Oh, Pastor, you know, God knows that I need a new car. Do you need a new car or do you just need a car? Uh, does God know that if you get a brand new car that you won't rejoice about that new car, but you'll tell everybody what you did for you instead of God providing it? See, God knows us better than we know us. All right? Could it be that the reason we don't get what we ask for is that we have no intention of giving God the glory for it? You think about that one. Could it be the reason we don't have, we're not getting what we're asking for is that we have no intention of giving God the glory for it. And God says, I'm going to just hold on to that one. See, he departed. He directed. Number three, he deprived. Look at verse 11. Verse 11. The unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. Once again, Healing demon-possessed people. Once again, Jesus saying, shh, don't say anything. Don't tell anybody. And what a sad state that the people saw Jesus as a miracle worker and nothing more. But the demons saw that he was the Son of God. Now, what's your view of Jesus today? Is he just some good dude who did a lot of good stuff in this good book? Or is he really who he said he is? Because if he's really who he said and who he claimed to be, then that makes me a pretty crummy person. And that means that i got to shape up. And i got to do something with what his word tells me to do. If he is who he claimed to be. Is Jesus our hope today? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Psalm 39, 7. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. Jeremiah 17, 7. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Romans 15, 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Do you have his hope? We see the critics that were there. The challenge that was there. And then number three, lastly this morning, we see the calling. The calling. And here we see the calling in verse number 13 through 19 of the 12 men who would spend the majority of Jesus' ministry walking with him. We know their names. We see uh, two things here. Number one, we see the ministry they were called to. Jesus spends the night in verse 13. He goeth up in a mountain. Parallel passages in Luke chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. These men would spend time with him, learn his message, all to preach and have the authority that he did. But their primary purpose that they went out was to preach. Remember Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 2, The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Our purpose is to share the message that God has implanted into our heart. And the messenger is only as good as the message. See, 
you can be a crummy person in sharing your faith and somebody falls at Jesus' feet. Because it's not the messenger. It's not your power and your might. It's the message. It's what you're sharing. The fact that Jesus has transformed your heart and life. That Jesus has made a difference. But to be able to share that testimony, you've got to have that testimony. Has Jesus radically changed your life? Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify not you but Him. Glorify your Father which is in heaven. The reason that you're here is not just to get to your, your battery charge and go to work and do nothing with it. We're to serve. He saves us to serve. Galatians 5.13 For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. What does that look like? It means a personal sacrifice on your part to live out your faith in front of other people. That could be singing, that could be teaching, that could be speaking, that could be greeting, that could be watching. That's where you look at the card and say, where can I exercise my spiritual gift that God has blessed me with? And signing up and saying, I'm willing to take a step of faith and I'm going to serve because he's worthy of it. I'm going to serve him. We see the ministry that they were called to. And then lastly, we see the men that were called. Verse 16 through 19. And Simon, he surnamed Peter. We know Peter. James, the son of Zebedee. John, the brother of James. And he surnamed then Banerges, which is the sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon, the Canaanite. And Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. And they went into an house. In the first two verses, we see the three men who spent the most time with Jesus. Peter, James, and John. See, Jesus had thousands of fans, hundreds of followers, scores of friends, but three that were distinct. Three. See, you and I need close friends like Jesus had to where we can rely on other people and count on them in our moment of greatest need. You look at the times that Jesus was with these men, they were impactful moments. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Impactful moment. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? The disciples all come and then Peter and James and John kind of separate themselves and Jesus goes a little farther. Impactful moment. These men were with him. Why? Because they were his closest friends. It's interesting to me that Jesus had three guys like this that were his best friends. And the rest of the disciples were okay with it. Did you ever notice that? There was never any backbiting. Now there was, hey, who's going to be the greatest? But there was not, I don't know why Jesus spent so much time with those three. I'm just as good as they are. None of that. You don't see that. But what you do see is their acceptance that Peter and James and John spent more time with Jesus. You know, how do you create friendships? Proverbs 18, 24, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You are not going to make friends by sitting in the corner and moping that you don't have friends. No, why won't, nobody wants to spend time with me. I wonder why. I wonder why. No, Jesus had 11 close followers and one traitor. And it shows me that just because someone says they're a follower of Jesus doesn't always mean that they are. And this morning, you need to determine if you are a fan of Jesus or you're a follower of Jesus. 
A fan is simply a stranger who knows you and likes you while you really aren't aware of their existence. Man, they like me. Great. I don't even know their name. But a friend is someone who knows who you are and has made a choice to like you anyway. That's a friend. Can I spiritualize that? Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 13 and 14, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. A friend is someone who knows who you are and chooses to like you anyway. And in this context, Jesus knows who you are and to love you anyway. He loves you. In verse 14, how do we show our friendship back to Jesus? Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Abraham was called a friend of God. Why? Because he followed God where he led him. Will you be known as a fan or a follower? Are you a fan of Jesus or are you a friend of Jesus? There is a big difference between the two. You know, are you willing to follow him, serve him, get involved for him? Because he truly is worthy of it. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. A little different invitation this morning. We're going to have our team come up and they're going to get ready to sing a song. And we're going to sing in just a moment. But I'm going to ask you to do something right there in your seat. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or get involved at this point. But I want to ask you two questions. Number one, are you a follower of Jesus? And maybe you're here this morning or you're watching online and you've not made that decision to follow Jesus as your personal Savior. Maybe you don't know if you died, you'd be on your way to heaven. You just don't have that settled in your heart and life. Can I challenge you this morning? Don't leave today without getting that settled. Don't leave today without making that decision secure in your heart and mind. Uh, Salvation is simply acknowledging that you have a sin problem, admitting you're a sinner, just like the Bible says. Believing that Jesus died for your sin, just like the Bible says. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the scripture, 1 Corinthians 15. And because of that, hey, all we have to do is ask him to apply what he did on the cross to our life. Our heart and life. There is no other way for salvation. You can't be good enough. You can't get baptized enough. You can't do enough good things. You can't be a good person, turn over a new leaf. You get saved by coming through Jesus in no other way. He said that in John chapter 14. But have you settled that? Number two, if you have settled that, what are you doing for him? Are you serving him? Have you made a conscious decision to follow him with your life? And if you've not made that decision, even having Jesus as your Savior, you're going nowhere. He created you to serve one another. That's why we're still here. If we didn't have that purpose, as soon as we got saved, received Christ as our Savior, He would have taken us to heaven. He's left us here to serve. But are you serving? And where are you serving? So I'm going to ask you, number one, have you received Christ? If you haven't, our personal workers will be down front in just a moment and would love to talk to you about that. Would love to answer any question you have, pray with you, whatever you need. And number two, if you are serving or you're not serving, you're asking yourself, am I following Jesus? And I'm going to ask you to pray about what the Lord wants you to do in the area of service. You were given a card earlier this morning. 
And I'm going to ask you, as we're having this time of invitation, give you some time to pray and reflect and say, God, what do you want me to do? And I'm going to ask you to fill out that card. Simply just you and God time right now. What does God expect from me in this moment? That's all we're asking for. And that's all that God is expecting of you right now in this moment. What does your relationship look like with Him? Has it been secured? And what are you doing to serve Him? That's what the invitation is all about today. Father, please bless our time of reflection this morning. Lord, I ask that you please help us to search our hearts. Lord, as our personal workers are ready to talk to people, if there's someone here that doesn't know that they're saved, Lord, maybe someone would, right there in their seat, they would call out to you for salvation. Lord, it's not a uh, scripted prayer. It's simply a prayer of faith asking for a need to be met. Lord, maybe someone would come and say, I just prayed that prayer and I wanted Jesus to save me. And they would begin taking that step-by-step journey with you. Lord, for the rest of us, help us to ask ourselves, what is our next step? Lord, what does that step of service look like? And how can we serve the King? Lord, we sure do love you. And thank you for loving us. Please bless this time of reflection in Jesus' name. Amen. You can remain seated this morning. The team is going to sing Build My Life. How about just praying right there in your seat what God would have you to do. And we'll dismiss in just a moment. Pastor Tim, please. Worthy of all the praise we could ever breathe.